You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, I'm so happy to have Ken Michalowski here with me. Ken, thanks for being here in the studio. Well, you had to coerce me to get me here, but I'm here. And twist your arm. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Thanks, T. <laughs> I hope you're not too bruised. <laughs> and it was your birthday yesterday. How did you know that? Ha- happy belated birthday, oh, Ken well. Michalowski. <laughs> I accept it. <laughs> and um, and thanks to Brian Delaney engineering today and playing uh, the MC5 and and yeah. Ken why don't will you tell us why you chose that particular song to open your 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 show with okay why did I choose that well there was a time I'm from Detroit so that that goes with one thing I'm from Detroit and I used to give readings at the Grandy Ballroom in Detroit I was um, the intermission. At times, in between sets of like Iggy and the Stooges and the MC5, they would prop up some poet and everybody would run out to the parking lot to smoke a joint and there'd be a poet <clears throat> reading poems to himself while meanwhile they're changing sets and dropping drums behind me. <laughs> and so, and so what, what year was that about? Like, can you? 67, 8, 9, that area, yeah. And so was it that you were friends with the band or were they just admirers of well, poetry both. or right. no admirers? Who's an admirer of poetry? <laughs> of course, <laughs> all, listeners. Oh, okay. Can we have some callers now with some <laughs> admirers of poetry giving us a ring at the station? <laughs> you, you notice how silent it is all of a sudden. <laughs> it's okay. It takes a while. Multiple phone lines. It's, okay. You know, time delay. Well, the deal was is that uh, John Sinclair was the manager of the MC5, and John was a friend of mine, and he was a poet. So you know, that's how it works out. But then I became friends with. Uh, um, a couple of members of the band, particularly Rob Tyner. Rob was a close friend. And so, so would you? So, what kind of poems would you read at that point? And would there be like there'd be a few? I mean, honestly, show us the picture here. There'd be a few people out in the audience, people who were passed out, perhaps and couldn't go out That's right, to the, the parking who, lot. Or no, you got it. That's about who was around there. And every now and then, somebody would yell. You know, bring on the MC5! Right in the middle of a poem, you know? 
you're like, all right. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's hard. It's hard. You know, when the energy level changes that much, you know, there's a little bit of a problem. I mean, uh, there is. But now I can never be intimidated again as long as I live. Once you've been the intermission between Iggy and the MC5, you know, what else is going to intimidate you? And maybe also you're like, what the heck? You know, you even start shouting your poems. Well, of course. I mean, I, I, my, maybe that's why Ginsburg did. That's, I'm, I'm, you know, that's the whole idea. You know, my my line is, yeah, I'm from Detroit. What of it? Uh, yes. Yeah. So there, that that's it. I read my poems, and if nobody gets it, likes it, that's the way it usually is. Actually, <laughs> that's the way it usually goes. Okay, that's not true. Well, I although, should put although, say a qualifier. Although, you are you are always making self-effacing jokes. So. <laughs> okay. No. Okay. No joke. As frequently as I hear, when I read my poems, I frequently hear, and I love it, people say, that's not a poem. <laughs> that's how I know I'm doing something right. And I know I'm on the right track when I hear that. And then that actually reminds me of the, the lead poem in your, your book, Big Enigmas, um, mm. with past tense press and and i'd like to just spell the second name yeah, spell that it's, it's, just spell that it's past yeah, oh no wordplay <laughs> um past tense t-e-n-t-s right so and that's dennis's press in dennis teichman and deb king and also originally paul schwartz who's now deceased but uh, so yes it was it that's a great i i, I love the, um, the format they put together for me it's really a nice book. Were you talking about the very first poem? Yes, the very first. Well, I don't know. I, would you like I, to? I will indeed, but let me give you. Everything has a story, and I never shut up, so here's the story. You know, every poet claims to be a prize winning poet. I am a prize winning poet. You may not know this, but I am the winner of the 1991 Michigan Pork Barrel Award for the misspending of taxpayers' money. A congresswoman um, who was um, in Lansing decided by going through all the expenditures that year that um, were pork, um, they had all these, these bridges that went nowhere and roads that fell apart in two years, and they decided that the most egregious thing that happened that year was the publication of my book, Big Enigmas, which was funded by Michigan Council for the Arts grant. <laughs> and they decided that that deserved the Pork Barrel Award. And they had, and this is, this is, this is what, I have photos of this. They had people marching on Lansing, carrying placards with my poems on them, saying, this is what your tax money is going for. And, and this was 1991. What were some yeah. of the featured poems? Well, the very f the one you're talking about, the number one poem that was on the placard was this one. It's called Poem. And just so you know, it's the only poem I've ever written called Poem. You can't write just anything and call it a poem. <laughs> Sometimes you try to be provocative. And that it succeeds. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh! You know, they, there was a letter writing campaign at that time. Um, my parents, who knew nothing about my poetry or that, you know, what a poet was, or you know, what in the world I was doing, in in their local newspaper, 
came out a letter denouncing me and said, let's begin Michigan's fiscal prioritizing in the Mikulowski household. They wanted to, of course, take the money back, but it was too late. (laughs) We already spent it. Well, every penny went to putting together the book, no doubt. Yeah. And lining your pockets and and Anne's. Of course. You know, poets, that's how poets get rich. We fleece the taxpayers. So I think it's interesting when you, yeah, exactly, the fleecing, the sheep, the wool, the... um, but you said that you are an award-winning poet. Yeah. You didn't qualify. You did. It doesn't have to be like necessarily <laughs> from the Poetry Foundation, <laughs> or it could be awards from other people, your constituents. That's right. I, so I just want you to know that. Please, the next time you give an introduction, please say, "And now the award-winning poet." <laughs> yeah, I guess this was pre-tea baggers even. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's connected because the alternative press that um, the the alternative press that you and Anne founded back in the sixties. Ah, uh, yes, with a name like the alternative press, you know what it was founded. <laughs> <laughs> you even had tea bags as part of like the art and your mailings, didn't you? Know you know that? Yeah, it's true. Yes. We did. We 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 put objects um, in inside the uh, the packages we would send out to subscribers and. Um, Sometimes it would include a tea bag. Sometimes it would include a metal brass postcard. Sometimes it would include who knows what you'd find inside there. Bumper stickers, bookmarks, postcards, broadsides. Well, you know what? Let's we're going to come back right, to we'll the alternative to press cuz I right. feel like we have this this is going to be kind of a we're going to we're going to go many places today with our <laughs> conversation. But before we go further, I'm going to since I'm doing this kind of bass backwards at the moment. Let's go for it. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and read your biography and um, the one that I'm reading. Oh my, my, this, is, this is going to take a long time. <laughs> no, that's like we actually you're very mysterious. We have to fill in some of the pieces here. Oh. Um Okay, but the the bio that I'm going to read is in the back of uh, the June 2010, uh, the Michigan Poet booklet number one, uh, which is available uh, in many places. Look for the Michigan Poet in schools, parks, businesses, and other public places in Michigan. It's kind of like a treasure hunt, but you can also go online and find it. So uh, the Michigan Oh, or write the Michigan poet at gmail.com. Without further ado, Ken's biography. Ken Michalowski is the author of three books of poetry. Thank you again. Thank you, call again. Little Mysteries and Big Enigmas. He teaches poetry writing at the University of Michigan's Residential College in Ann Arbor. For more than 30 years, he was editor, publisher, and printer of the Alternative Press. So wow, that's now, impressive. It is. It is. You you write often very short poems as well. So I'm not surprised uh, that our our bio of the day is type short. By hand for thirty years, you would write short poems too. Exactly. So the letterpress was what was driving. Is that true, then, Ken? The letterpress. True. Sure. Can sure. you explain that? Because some people don't know, the alternative maybe press the letter was press. this was was um, a publishing company that my wife Ann and I started uh, back in the '60s in Detroit, and um, of course we started it for all the reasons that um, anybody else would start a press. It was to publish our friends, of course. Why, why would we want to publish our enemies? Um, so we, um, but it was it was the press that we we got 
was a letterpress. We had never printed before in our lives, and we moved this 1,500-pound letterpress into our basement. And um, it was sort of an intimidating presence that sort of said, you better learn how to use this because you just moved this into the basement. And now what are you going to do? And was this in Detroit, Ken? Where Detroit. were you guys living at the time? In Detroit, yeah. Well, was it in the Cass Corridor? Was yes, it? Yes, that's, okay. that's, that's, the, that's the infamous term, the Cass Cuspidor, for those of us who live there. But from anybody else, uh-uh, don't say that. Yeah. Cass Corridor. Yeah, it's that sort of macho Detroit attitude we all have. Um, well, th this press got moved into our basement, and we had to learn to print. So um, what we found out later is that it was pretty much the same way that Virginia Woolf and, and Leonard Woolf uh, learned to print with the Hogarth Press. They also didn't know how to print, and they would go to their printing supply dealer and, and buy something. And while they were there, there were lots of knowledgeable people around. You'd ask a lot of questions. And, of course, they would laugh at you because you were so naive and so innocent. And, and then they would maybe sell you something you didn't really need, but um, yeah, it might have cost you an extra five bucks. But meanwhile, they're giving you a $50 free printing lesson. So uh, it wasn't so bad. The trade-off was pretty good. We learned to we learned to print by you know going to the printing supply dealer and couldn't talk to other printers because we didn't know the terminology. I mean we didn't you know we'd say you know that part in the press down below sometimes when it, when it goes around it gets stuck and they'd say oh you mean the platen and you know they, oh yeah okay uh, we didn't know. But how did you actually come upon this this machine this almost monstrosity of of lettering. <laughs> Let's go back to John Sinclair again, the artist workshop in Detroit. There was the it was the, the press belonged to the workshop, and uh, and uh, they used it occasionally, um, not very often because it's really labor intensive. As I say, it's it's um it's a labor of love with the accent heavily on the labor part. Um, it's um. So when you wanted to put out a, uh, maybe, because the, the Irish Workshop was doing a lot of political printing and things, and a lot of things for, like, uh, rallies were coming up, and there was a, uh, printing posters against the war in Vietnam, or uh, a lot of things that needed that needed to have an, a, sort of an immediate release. And setting type by hand doesn't lead that way. So so it's it, they found other ways. They found Mimeo, and they found offset printing, and they found other things that worked more quickly, more efficiently. So the press just sat around there at the workshop gathering dust until you know, I decided one day, I mean, we, we, wanted to, to, we wanted to be publishers. And it's an art when you're doing, when you're setting type. It's well, a, it's we an learned art. that later. <laughs> we, <Yeah. laughs> we learned that much later. Uh, yeah, um, we thought we were just going to become publishers, gentlemen publishers, you know, and not get our hands dirty. In the 60s, are you crazy? <laughs> and, you know, I might just mention if, if folks want to go on YouTube and if you put in Ken Michalowski, um, there'll be a clip comes up that uh -oh. will from. Yeah, don't worry. It's a it's a good it's a it's a professional one, Ken. Oh, <laughs> or, oh, oh that one. <laughs> that one um, from Wayne State University. And it opens with uh, a, a piece of uh, a quote from you. And then it shows some of the cast corridor and the times and goes on to talk about the art collection at Wayne State University. So if you if people can look that up too. Um, we're going to take a short break. Good idea. And we're going to come back. Um, Maybe. <laughs> hopefully with more Ken Michalowski. Um, his book, Big Enigmas. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back.
Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, Ken Michalowski. Ken, thanks again for being here. You bet. With us. Michigan's own Ken Michalowski, award-winning poet, <laughs> thanks. Ken Michalowski. <laughs> so, so, Ken, could you tell us a little bit about the piece we just heard at the break? Sure. Um, that was... Uh, a Robert Creeley poem, um, which was actually published by the Alternative Press as a postcard, and it was being sung by Christine Correa with an arrangement by the pianist Frank Karlberg uh, and uh, his band. And so um, they did a whole album of, of, of Creeley poems, and not too long ago, about six or seven months ago, Frank um, contacted me and and somehow got a hold of a copy of my book and wanted to know if he could set some of my poems to music. And I'm no fool. I said, sure. And, um, and so he did. And, and uh, last month in, in New York um, at the Gowanus Jazz Festival, he had a, a, there was a debut performance of um, uh, about an hour and a half concert of nine, nine of my poems, uh, my minimal poems given maximal treatment by, um, <laughs> by a six-piece six jazz band and a vocalist. And um, I was pleased. How about that? <laughs> I'm not too modest about this. It was terrific. And will there be a release, an album of this too, Ken, that we could keep an eye out for eventually there will be they did record um the the live session the, the concert um there are some problems almost always with doing a live concert and there were some problems with it uh they plan on i think um recording uh, recording it again at a concert in boston and then they'll probably you know see what happens the best piece from each but if not all the, nothing works out too well i think they intend to go in the studio with it if but they'd like to do it live if possible but it might not work. They might go in the studio with it. Because it seems, well, I, I wish I had been there, but it seems like it might be, the live performance might be an aspect of the work that you would want as part of it. That's what I think, yeah. That's that's what I would hope for. But um, So I, we're not sure what's going to happen. They're going to they're gonna do it again, though. So we'll, they'll record it again. Will you read a couple, well, will you read a couple of the poems that were part of the, the nine poem cycle? Sure. Would uh, you, yeah. Would you yeah, mind? Well, yeah, yeah. Um, some of them are from uh, the Big Enigmas, and some of them are from uh, a new new works I'm, I'm doing tentatively called, but seriously. Although I don't know if it's going to be called that. Actually, it should be called. My, I had a book before this called Little Mysteries, and that was followed by Big Enigmas. So I think maybe the next one should be called Colossal Conundrums. But all right, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. So here's here's a. Um, a poem that um, that they they did. This one's called "Overheard at the Bar." I'm not criticizing you. I'm just pointing out the discrepancies in your life. Yes, that's the poem. It's over now. That's 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 it. <laughs> and so, um, is this a poem that comes from real life, Ken? <laughs> I don't have a real life. Come on. <laughs> Not a chance. Um, so how did they, can you tell us a little bit about how they did that? Was, because um, was the vocalist, was Christine uh, sure. Correa, was she 
having sort of a line through that with her voice and then sure was well the the deal is that maybe one of the reasons that uh, a a jazz band might be attracted to these poems is everybody likes to do solos you know and when the poems are that short you know there's lots of rooms for solos (laughs) everybody has a chance (laughs) yeah lot. I mean you know more 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 room for the for the for the musicians to to expand Uh, no but Christine repeats the poem and, and 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 um and does it, I think, really effectively. One of the poems, which I thought would maybe best of all, is a two-line poem that um, I'll read to you right now. It's, it's called Lament. And it goes, I am not now, nor have I ever been. And of course, I, I have a sort of smart-ass tone in some of my, some of my poems. And, and and I think I was, I was, that was sort of what my attitude was toward this one. You know, it was, this is like a takeoff on the, on the 50s. Uh, ch- I am not now, nor have I ever been a member of the Communist Party of the United States. I've not done, you know, that's, that's my, you know. So I just abbreviated it to I am not now, nor have I ever been, which is pretty lamentable. But Chris, when Christine picked that up, she sings it as a dirge, and she just repeats those words over and over and over again. And it was the closing piece of the performance, and it was a knockout. And, and it wasn't because of my words. She, her performance was just outstanding. You know, it was just, I am not now, nor have I ever been, but using her voice to say those words over until it just sunk in, and you were, you experienced it, yeah. Something that may have be- become started as with some sort of uh, flippancy or insight into something being smart yeah. is actually was transformed. Well, the layer of that seriousness is apparent in that piece anyway, if you sit with it yes, for it a moment. But to have it given to you over and over with the the sounds of it, not not letting you move away from it. <laughs> Perhaps to the the next poem or the next. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And for me, the whole the whole um, the whole concert was really a revelation because I was hearing my words interpreted by someone else in another form. That um, yeah, I was I was I was really pleased with what happened, and it, it made me see my own words fresh. And well, that's kind of nice when you can see your own when you can see your own work fresh again. That's nice almost see outside yourself as like, oh, that's the artist, Ken Michalowski. This is why I've been living my life. Oh, yeah. Or, <laughs> I don't you must change it. your life. <laughs> There's no part that does not see you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have, so have you done other, ever before, the collaborative works like this sure. with music? Yeah. Or? Sure, yeah. Uh, um, I used to, I've done other recordings even. with uh, we, had a, we, had a, we put together... A band called the the Big Enigmas, which was pretty much a, a rock r- rock band, and um, I've been collaborating with a uh, colleague at the Residential College, um, Mike Gould, who's a percussionist, and um, we we did some some pieces together with uh, uh, some musicians from, um, from from Sweden and a dancer from Germany, and we performed that back in December, um, and I that was it's, it's been fun to work with them, and also I had a. A long time ago, um, a classical um, uh, composer did um, three of my poems with a with a soprano um, singing them seriously. Yeah, so it's a kind of it's. 
I mean, I, I like musicians and I like working with them and uh, and artists too. I collaborate with artists too, so it's great to have. You know, it's nice to do that. It gets it gets me outside of my own really small limitations. You know, when you when you work with someone else. And and your head, because sometimes we can kind of go go around in the same area for a while, can't we? Like those ballerinas in the the jewelry box, yeah. <laughs> just sort of. They're kind of they're, they don't get out of that. They, they just go round and around. Which Not is, always. Which is pretty much the way it goes sometimes with poetry. But I I, I love that we began with the the MC five, you know, kick out the jams, and you yeah. making the like saying how you were, you know, the the halftime show, you know. The, and That's then, right. and then now we've come to this part where you, you and your words are the entire show, and 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 the the music is is serving the that as well. That's pretty wonderful. I mean, it, it was. It was really. I felt honored. Yeah. Well, well, Ken, uh, could we hear one of the poems from? But seriously, you want to hear something short, and new. they're all short. I think the longest the longest poem in But Seriously is two lines. That's the longest poem in the book. Um, you know, I've I've been leading to this for a long time. I mean, my poems were short, but they just kept getting shorter and shorter. And um, yeah, I, mean, I can understand why um, people have a difficult. I gave a reading in Detroit not too long ago where I where I only read from this book, and so um, the longest poem I read was two lines. And I do know my audience's attention span. <laughs> I, I do know. <laughs> but, you know, eventually when you just keep hearing one short poem after another after another, people's eyes begin to glaze over, I think it begins to happen. I begin, you know, it's just, okay, I, I, some respite, please. You know? Which is funny because often the short poems are what, you know, other, other poems, uh, poets might be using to break yes. up their very long ones. As well they should. <laughs> yeah. no, nothing lasts forever except certain poetry readings. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be the cheering se- section for the short humorous poem, Ken. <laughs> All right, are you ready? Yeah. What do you mean humorous? Okay, not funny serious, about... but seriously. Yeah, but seriously. Um, all right, let's see. Um, all right, I'll begin with a series of three Three poems. And they usually have a title, but I can't tell you what the title is. I mean, I can't say title. Okay, so here's the poem This is. Next poem. This is two. And this is this, and that is that. All right, all right, see? I know. Thank now, you. Now no, I hear no. the whole audience. That's not a poem. <laughs> that's not, that's, that is not what I'm thinking. Um, <laughs> but I think it is funny because white print ink um, yes. printed D- this one, untitled. And so I actually copied it into my notebook, 
and it's but so there but something's happening with the typeface and so on the page it it's it has a different type of a life as well true you can then, see that you can see the title this in caps and then lowercase the poem is i mean there's something going on here. yeah and then there's a line now did you yes. is the line yours as well a horizontal line drawn across the horizon of the page no, it's not oh. mine, but it's. I like it. Okay. I like it. Ken approves. Yeah. I have a whole poem uh, that goes across the page. The, the poem from left to right reads, horizon line, horizon line, horizon line, horizon line, horizon line, horizon line, horizon line. Now, is that one of the ones that the the you made a, bra, uh, a, a broadside of? Yeah, I did. How did you know that? Because that's also featured in that YouTube clip. From Wayne State University, they have it in their art collection. Oh, okay, yeah, I didn't know that. See, now you're telling me stuff I didn't know. <laughs> For once, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, well, know. will you read us something else and from the the manuscript before we? I think then sure. we'll take a short break. I'll, maybe I'll read the entire uh, <gasps> the entire book um, from the the called you know the Michigan poet. I'll read the entire book from front to. I wish we knew where we someone could pick that up in town. You know. Cause did the, did the, you could have gotten it at Shame and Drum. I know. That would have been... Well, maybe Nicola's Books would be a good place to I start. Wonder, yeah. I, I'm not in charge of the or distribution, when, of course. Or Westside Bookshop. I would love to. I would, I would like it if something happened with this, yeah. But mm -hmm. um, I don't do the distribution. You know, it's, it's also in a format. That if you go to the website, you can, you can roll your own. There, he has instructions on how to print it out and, and, make a, and make a booklet from it. Oh, that's really great. Well, how did, did he approach you? And who is this yeah. he? <laughs> Foster Neal. I should definitely okay. tell him. Foster <laughs> Neal is the guy who started this, this, this series called The Michigan Poet. And um, uh, this is their first booklet. I think they intend to do more, more booklets. But um, often they, they appear as broadsides. And, um, and um, he's trying to get, I think, a reading series going. And he's also um, trying to place poems on, on, in public transportation and uh, just Unusual places all around, and I think he's doing a great job of what he's doing so far. I, I like. I, I've never met the guy. I have no idea what he's like. We've communicated a lot, and um, that's that's been it. Well, let's hear the poem. Okay, this three is, poems. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, this one's called. Actually, let's take our short break, and then when we come back, everyone will be on the edge of their seats. Oh my God! I can't wait. <laughs> You're listening to Living Writers. Uh, Ken Michalowski and T. Hetzel will be right back. The artists work on the art farm. They store the art they make in the art farm. Once in a while they take As promised, a short break it was. Um, you're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, Ken Michalowski, Michigan's own Ken Michalowski, award-winning poet, Ken Michalowski. Um, uh, yeah. Ken, will you read us? So you're also the Michigan poet for June 2010. Somebody else said that. And so <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, I'll claim it. I'll take it. Um, yeah, this is a, a very sh this is a slim volume of verse indeed. This poem is called "Our 
hour. O-U-R-H-O-U-R. Hour, hour. So short, we long for more. And then this next one, I saw Delight, is written for Robert Creeley, and it's a little longer than two lines. This is a six-line poem. I saw a delight. This morning, I woke up all over my body. Waking from the dark, I took light by surprise. I longed to hold it until it's mine. And the final poem in this book called Cornfield. Each row opens as you pass by. Thanks, Ken. That's, yeah, that is, that's beautiful. And so, well, I've got a few questions now following on the heels of that. So actually that must be the sign that it's, those poems are opening up lots of... <laughs> there are questions about my poems? <laughs> well, I'll just have to... <laughs> Well, all right, go ahead. <laughs> oh, dear. Of course, I've forgotten all of them right this second now. <laughs> no, the beauty of live radio. Um, with Were you studying also, this is probably one of the most obvious questions that you get all the time, so I hope it's not a, a true yawner, but um, were you looking to the Eastern poets as well for the brevity and for... Um, the inclusion of nature or I mean Gary Snyder's been on the program too and of course he looks to them um, sure, sure. what do you what do well, you I, think I, cer- I certainly do I do and I I came at a lot of um, a lot of uh, Eastern poetry through Kenneth Rexroth as a translator yes and uh, I really admire Rexroth's own poetry and I think his his translations are are just Superb! They're they're they're, they're the best. Rex Roth, I think, is one of those uh, American poets who 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 really needs to have more attention. I think he's you know the the great undervalued American poet. Uh, he's he's a wonderful poet, and I don't know that he's everyone's household name. He and, should be. And so, and and when did you? Um... Were you, was he one of the people that also, because I feel like from the bits and pieces of what I've been trying to study about you, Ken, and also Anne, and, and your, your lives with the, and, and art. Artist and poet running a press that published art and poetry. We found three different ways to not make a living at what we did. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of, I'm trying to, I'm trying to compete with you, Ken, because I've got poet and now radio going for me too. So yeah, good. But, uh, yeah, um, <laughs> we're going we're to get rich quick here. Exactly. <laughs> we need that lottery. Yeah. But, but, but did you, so did you, was he part of the, cause I have this then imagining that everyone was kind of blowing through in and out or you were going to visit around the country yeah. with everyone. And so did you know Rex Roth and well, as, as you did Creeley or? I, I knew Creeley very well, but I, Bob was, was, was a friend. Um, I met him early on when I was still a student in 1964 when um, Keith Waldrop um, brought him to Wayne State, and I, I, and I was a student, and, and uh, for some reason, Bob and I stayed in touch for, for over the years. But um, with Rex Roth, uh, I met him when he came to Wayne to read his poetry, and there was a huge snowstorm, and we were supposed to go out somewhere afterwards. And um, 
I lived nearby, and so somehow it got decided that we would come to my house. So Rex Roth came over, and but that was not unusual. Um, that really wasn't. When I first met Creeley, we were living at the Jeffries Housing Projects. We lived in. I didn't just live in Detroit. I lived in the I lived in the you know the projects and public housing in Detroit for for four years. And 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 Bob came over to, to our place there, and um, we had I don't know it was it was sort of a gathering. We had a well, um, we had a press in our basement, and you know uh, and uh, we lived in the inner city, and so people it was easy convenient for people to come by. I guess so people would come by and sometimes stay with us for a while. Rex Roth got snowed in, so we got to know him um, a bit anyway. But that's the only time I ever was with him in, in person. But loved his work for forever and, and got to know him briefly. And so would it be one of those things, Ken, then, so the years that came after that, every now and then you'd be printing something of Rex Roth's? Or... Yeah, in, in the same way I met, you know, you talk about Gary, Gary Snyder and uh, others, uh, I first met, um, I'll drop, I'll, it's all about name dropping. When you're dropping names of poets, it doesn't matter, does it? No. <laughs> they don't count. Um, it's, it's the sound, sound qualities. Anyway, it's all about the words. <laughs> I first met Allen Ginsberg in um, 1968 when we both, we both read with the MC5. And so that's why I met him. <clears throat> By 1969, John Sinclair was in prison. Uh, as you might historically, for giving away two joints of marijuana to an undercover agent. He was serving a 10-year sentence, hard time, in prison. Um, Alan wanted to come back to Detroit to help raise money for the John Sinclair Defense Fund, and he remembers meeting me, and, and so we got back in touch, and he stayed with us for for a week in 1969. We had this, this house in Detroit, and press in the basement. We just started our press. And Alan um, <clears throat> raised money. F- uh, he raised, this is incredible. Alan raised $4,000 in a week. Now, that's a lot of money for a poet to raise. In 1969, too. Sure better believe it. And he gave every penny of it. I, I watched him. He signed. He, every time he got a check, he'd just endorse it right over to the John Sinclair Defense Fund. That's the kind of generosity, Alan. Of course, he didn't have expenses. He was staying with <laughs> me. Yeah, I was driving him around. I was feeding him. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I hope he, he took you guys to dinner or something. <laughs> Well, um, as it turned out, he gave us a poem, um, and so we were just starting our press, and he gave us this poem, and, and, and we published a poem of Ginsburg. Now, that gives you some credibility. Um, when we started the press to publish our, our friends in Detroit, we wanted to publish John Sinclair. We wanted to publish uh, Faye Kiknaswe and Jim Gustafson and Donna Brooke and, uh, and Andre Kudrescu. There's a name. Yes. But Andre was you know, in Detroit at that time. He was a friend, and so... Uh, uh, and friend of the show, too, here. Exc- oh, yeah, yeah, I know. I think I was uh, escorting him, if I recall. Was <laughs> <laughs> one of your sojourns down here to the radio station, Ken. Yeah. <laughs> well, so we had, we had all these local poems we wanted to print, and then, and then Alan came and gave us a poem. We published Alan's poem, and that same year, I was living in Detroit, but this other poet came to teach here at the University of Michigan, a guy named Ted Berrigan. He came to teach at Michigan, and I got to meet Ted, and then we published a poem with Ted's, and then Ted invited me up to, to Ann Arbor, and I gave a poetry reading with him and Don Hall, the, and um, it was... Um, it and was, where was that here, Ken? It was at Canterbury House. Canterbury House. The Episcopalian yeah. House, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, we Matt, who is here at the station, is a 
strongly affiliated with them. So it's still going strong. That would have been 1969. So, yeah. Canterbury House. Wow. Well, that's great. 1960. And so, so is that when your connection to Ann Arbor began? Because I was wondering when, when well, did, because okay. Detroit has your heart. That's right. That's it's and it always will. Come and, on. Okay. I'm from Detroit. And what wa- of it? <laughs> and I wonder if it still has your letterpress, quite honestly. <laughs> no, we moved it around. You guys moved it. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a certain point that uh, Newsweek magazine did an article about Detroit. And, and they made put Detroit. Not De- it wasn't about Detroit. The title was, What is Wrong with America's Cities? But, of course, there was the poster, you know, child was Detroit on the cover. And in that in that article, they said that not only is Detroit the worst city in America, it's among the worst cities in the history of the world. You know, that gets your attention. And when you're from Detroit, ah, instant macho delight, man. Come on, one of the worst cities in the history of the world? Yeah. So, mm, there we go. Detroit, that's my, that's my roots. And Ann Arbor's another world, let me tell you. <laughs> it's another world. And... Um, I met Ted here, and so I had actually been coming here a little earlier than that, more background history. I said Keith Waldrop was my poetry teacher in Detroit, but he was there for one year taking the place of um, W.D. Snodgrass. And Snodgrass was my poetry teacher before Keith. Before Keith turned my world upside down, I had W.D. Snodgrass for a poetry teacher. And Dee was a friend of uh, Don Hall's, and so every now and then Dee would take me on an expedition, you know, to... to Ann Arbor and and, um, and 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 spend some time with Don. And so, and so you got to see him when he was just here recently for a day without yeah. art as well. Yeah, I yeah. did. Yeah, it was uh, it was good. Uh, so I've known Don for a while too. But um, my my world got turned upside down really completely with Keith Waldrop bringing in Robert Creeley. Creeley is what changed everything for me. Right. I think because well, I think want to hear this? Of course. Creeley was a, take this down, it's going to be on the final exam. Creeley was the greatest American poet of the last half of the 20th century. Absolutely. And my, he was, he was, he was, he edited, I think I'm not the only one who feels that way. Um, but he was a great poet and I, I learned a great deal from him and I respected him um, tremendously. And what was it about what he was doing that was so, that shook you up? He was writing poetry that I didn't recognize as poetry. That's not poetry. I, I don't want to, there's nothing wrong with my having studied with D. Snodgrass, but it was another world, and he didn't recognize, he would often tell me, you know, Allen Ginsberg's not a poet. And, okay, and so neither was Creeley, who wrote these short poems, sometimes funny, and, um, it just completely made me see poetry in, in a new light. It was a big influence on me, yeah. And and it seems like Robert Creeley also th- thought the world of you, too, Ken, in your poems. Um, the care for those he loves and lives with sounds all through these tender poems in such a warmth of head and heart you're not likely to find soon again. Uh, Robert Creeley um, uh, said this, and this is on the back of Big Enigmas, along with a photo that Anne took of you. Yes. Um, too. So we're going to take a short break and we'll be right Let's back. Do that. We'll hear some more of today on Living Writers, Ken Michalowski, his book Big Enigmas. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back. Brothers and sisters, I want to see you see your hands up there. 
is. The time has come for each and every one of you to decide whether you are going to be the problem or whether you are going to be the solution. That's right. You must choose, brothers. You must choose. It takes five seconds. Five seconds of decision. Five seconds to realize your purpose here on the planet. It takes five seconds to realize that it's time to move. It's time to get down with it. Brothers, it's time to testify and I want to know, are you ready to testify? Are you ready? I give you a testimonial. You're listening to Living Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, Ken Mikulowski. Those are my boys. That's what shaped my life, you know. That's it. That's 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 how bad. That's how I turned out bad. I did the misshaped. <laughs> yeah. What can I say? You can't say much after that, man. That's that that's 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 still great stuff, you know. So maybe it's like one of the reasons why um, that spirit. That of that time and place is is just it doesn't leave you like it's like you're going to testify in your poems in your Detroit's not going to leave me the MC5 all those influences that whatever I am that's what shaped me and I love how you also said about that time in the the cast corridor um, uh, and and about that Newsweek article as well. Oh, yes. And the, yeah. you know, <laughs> one of the worst cities in the history um, of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Worst. Yeah. Uh, it's like it's not only that you lived in one of the worst cities in the history of the world, and we were survivors, but more than that, we reveled in it and we swaggered when we walked. We didn't own much, but we owned this, and we made art with it. Who said that? Ken Mikulowski. Uh, and it's that's kind of beautiful. Don't say that. <laughs> I'm trying to be, you know. Come on, I'm from Detroit. We don't, we don't, we ain't, we aren't into beauty. <laughs> we take, we take stuff off the street and make art out of it. You know, that's that, that that's the Detroit aesthetic. You know, found objects and yeah, that was the the aesthetic of the Cass Quarter artists who um, had their own cooperative gallery, the Willis Gallery in Detroit. And that that was an important part of my life too, the Willis Gallery, and and because we had a press, of course. And artists were putting on shows. They wanted to have invitations for their shows. They couldn't afford to hire some printer, so guess who printed the cards? My wife. And was an artist. She showed at the Willis Gallery. Our friends were artists, so we would print their cards. And then um, after the show was over, they would give us a piece of art from the show, you know, in exchange. And so I have an incredible collection of, of cast corridor art because, you know, I printed cards for the artists. And they were, they were my friends. It wasn't just... And still are. And and how did you make the decision then to move to Ann Arbor, Ken? Well, there was this job, see? <laughs> um, there's always a job. No, if you're lucky, there's always a job. <laughs> there was there was an interlude. I didn't just go from Detroit to Ann Arbor. I went from Detroit. I went from the inner city of Detroit to the inner city of Grindstone City. That's And that's a poem in Big Enigmas as yeah. well. So what... 
Where's Grindstone that? City is at the tip of the thumb of Michigan. <gasps> um, yeah, it's right up, right up at the very tip of the thumb near Port Austin. Um, and it's an it's another totally isolated area. I've written a series of poems about Grindstone City, and I gave a reading at um, a couple years ago at Naropa at the at the Jack Kerouac School of Disembodied Poetics, which I love to say. I think that um, was in July 1995. No, that no, no, I was there then. I, I go back frequently. Uh, okay, because there's one people can listen to online if they want oh, to, really? a Naropa yeah. one of your readings. Yeah, I go like back to Naropa on a pretty regular basis. So. Okay. So. This, this, this was a couple of years ago. Um, and I read the series of poems about Grindstone City and Detroit and, and, the, and the comparison of these two uh, one-industry towns that um, Grindstone City is now a ghost town because it used to quarry grindstones. And it was a thriving town um, at the turn of the century. And then along came carborundum, a synthetic product. And there was no more need to dig these big stones out of the ground and ship them around the world anymore. So literally, grindstone was a stone you would use to grind other stones? That's to grind, to grind, or, to sharp for sharpening instruments and also for grinding grain, grain and things. Oh, like, you know, to pulverize yeah, or to... Sure. Okay. Yeah, it was, but it was, they were used around the world. They were shipped around the world. They came from Grindstone City, Michigan. And then um, the place just became a ghost town. At one time, Detroit had over 2 million people, and it had a big industry, too, called the auto industry. And um, one, of the, one of the quotes I, I, don't mind, I don't mind saying is, uh, after uh, Allen Ginsberg stayed with us in Detroit for a while, he, he, he wrote some, some piece about, about his time. And one of the things he had to say was, um, Detroit's alternative press will outlast the auto industry. Whoa. Oh. <laughs> well, Alan, <laughs> I don't know. Well, that actually, maybe, let's take... So, well, yeah, there's, there's all these stories. But I, so I went to Grindstone City for a few years. It was what you're supposed to do in the 70s. You know, you're supposed to, you were supposed to, you know, go to the country. And I did that, you know, and, and the first five, and, you know, it, it, was, it was great. I learned to, uh, we're from the city all entirely. So we, we grew a garden. We had a big organic garden and, and, and learned a lot of things about, about that. But then I did get a teaching job here in Ann Arbor. At the Residential and, College in yeah, 1977? I, yep. That's when I started here at the RC, 1977. And um, I've been here, how long is that? <clears throat> is that 33 years, really? Yeah, but I love it. It's great. I, love, I really like teaching at the RC because um, I get to work with students. Um, I have an introductory class. I have an advanced class, but I also do uh, a number of tutorials where it's teaching students one-on-one. -on -one. They bring their poems to me each week, and we... And it's it's one on one, and I get to work with students for over for three or four years. I mean, and so you get to watch the students develop and grow, and it's really incredible for me. And some of the students think it's pretty good for them too. It's a good system; it works. Yeah, I really I admire the the RC. Mm. What it seems like you've got going on over there. It's 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 good for me as a teacher, and I think it it works out for students too. Well, let's actually... Okay, there's enough of that. That's no, all those aside. So, no. yes, I'm in Ann Arbor now. There we go. 
But so, and do, do you, I do I digress? My whole life no, is no. a digression, man. <laughs> That's I'm right there with you. Don't worry, Ken. But so so then you see, I'm obsessed with this one thing. You're gonna be like, God, she keeps going, going back, back to, that. to this. What does well, she want? Is that, what do you want from me anywhere? Is that when you move the letterpress to Ann Arbor? Because yes. I feel like that. Yes. That's sort of a commitment. Then it must have signaled something. Yes, I, I moved the press from Detroit to Grindstone City, and from and from Grindstone City to Ann Arbor. So that is. And that's not just the press. That is, you know, you set type with with lead trays type. and trays of right. lead type. Tons, tons mm. of type and and the furniture that goes with it and the kind of the, the type cabinets and all that. Yeah, so it's kind of a a, a heavy deal to move around. And now it's in Ann Arbor. Yes, it's in the studio. We're in we're in painted and the press was we had a st- studio out behind our house. Still do, but that's where it is. But. Uh, Anne would do her painting out there, and uh, one section of it was also press room. And is that where did now did Anne make the painting of the hitchhiker, which is you guys a painting of you guys and Anne sitting on a box of strows? Right. No. <laughs> tell, could you tell that by, story? That was done by Jim Palace. <laughs> oh, okay. Jim Palace was the artist who who did that piece. He did a he did a, a series of, of of portraits of people, life size, life size. So very different from Anne's, which are fit on the palm of your hand. That's right. Anne did okay. miniature portraits of of poets and artists and. Um, and others, musicians and things. She did Rob Tyner, the MC5. She did, uh, she did Ginsburg and Creeley and um, John Ashbery sitting on our back porch in Detroit. John's wearing white pants. And he wasn't sure he wanted to sit in that rocking chair, but uh, Ann was going to Ann was going to do his portrait. So he sat in the chair even though he was wearing white pants. You know. So, um, and there's also a, a portrait of you and Ron Paget too. Yeah, that's in New York. Actually, yeah, we were in New York at the time, and yeah, uh, and Ann captured if you. If if you've seen that painting behind us, is is First Avenue in New York, and the painting the painting must be the side of that painting must be no bigger than three by four inches. That's one of her big miniatures, three by four inches. But the detail of the of the of the city of the buildings and things it's just amazing. Uh, yeah, you, you can recognize people do they can recognize you know all kinds of details by looking. at that So painting. she had a very like a steady hand. And she made her must have made her own brushes, like something so tiny. And her brushes were extremely small. She had used triple uh, uh, zero brushes, but she'd pluck out extra hairs from them to get to get the to get it as detailed as she as she could. It, could you do something like that with your eye, or would you have to wear like a, a magnifying she, hat? Or? She she would not wear mag. She would do it with with, with her eye. eye. She thought the magnifying. She tried working with with a big magnifying thing over your glass, but that distorted it. And she said that uh, she couldn't paint like that. But she also paints big too. She also did uh, large lakescapes and um, and um, and landscapes and things that were. I mean, she did a, a lake painting that's six feet by eight feet. That you know, it's like a a lake you can walk into and drown. It's so it's just it's a huge, wonderful painting. And how did the poet and painter find each other? It seems like uh, such like one of these romance romantic high stories. High school for sweethearts, the- baby. <laughs> <laughs> high school. There's no way. To tell you're going to grow together like that, no way to know that at all. Uh, I got married when I was 19 years old. I was a child bride. No kidding. I mean, 19 years old, we got married, and um, yeah, we, the thing is, we we did. We we um, we we grew together, right? Yeah. No way to tell a poet and an artist. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. But, but you kept each other afloat in the midst of everything. Yeah. yeah. And, and well. 
So going back to the then that hitchhiker thing, because if, if it's life size, it's really there's a, there's also a picture online of both of you standing by it. Oh, that too. Yeah, the the the, the real Canon Ann next to the the um, the painted Canon Ann. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a I have a short poem called Reality, and it goes Reality, not really. So there, okay. <laughs> That's something to do with that double portrait. Yeah. Exactly. Well, let's. Um, you Ken so kindly handed me um, a gift when he first came into the the station today. Well, you're a gifted poet. The, uh, now I'm a gifted poet. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I've been waiting for this moment, Ken. <laughs> it's hard to keep up with you with the wordplay. <laughs> I can appreciate it, but not <laughs> you Never back mind. apparently. Oh, um, shut up, Ken. Let me open this up. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, so this is an envelope, a, a large Manila envelope with the alternative press uh, logo stamped in the upper left-hand corner uh, and a buffalo um, running, charging. And so I imagine, so you had subscribers, and so you would send these envelopes out? That's the case. Yep. And how often would you guys do oh, this? Oh, it was irregular. We'd often get irate letters. <laughs> We'd say, come on, we're not random house. You know, we, you'll get your package eventually. <laughs> You're the even the more entire, random house. The entire alternative press <laughs> consisted of Anne and me. We were the alternative press. We had to sweep the floor, lick the stamps, do the... Pre- I mean, it was too much... That, that was the what about your What people. about your cadre of interns, Ken? Yeah, there, there weren't any of those. <laughs> so, well, now I'm opening this this wonderful gift which is just chock full of things which we won't be able to probably well show talk. let's show let's show your radio audience our, well, our well, one, matter. well one day we'll be able to um because there's going to be sort of a maybe a camera in here uh, uh, for better uh, or for worse i'm not sure brian i don't really know what smiling. i look like yeah exactly. the world does though ken so there's bookmarks in here on beautiful paper um each of these so not only hand set but then you also had to cut these perfectly uh, that's how bookmarks came came about. We we would get twenty six by forty sheets of paper, and then um, we cut broadsides, and then we'd end up with a strip of paper, two inches by forty inches long, and so, not wanting to waste that, bookmarks. But then you'd have to set for the bookmark, and how did you run it through though? So carefully. <laughs> run it through the press. The press, like with the yeah, the well, rolls. You just um, you just. Learn to do it. <laughs> I didn't know how to do it before we started. No, but yeah. and then you also have um, some of the poets have signed their work too. So you have signatures and. Um, oh well, not not often. And artwork not, is yeah. the is the artwork ends on the. Uh, much of it is much of much of the work. Not not all, but some of it like uh, old printers dig bats. Yes. <laughs> some of these I can't even read on on air. Imagine um, that. <laughs> what do you think poetry is? You know. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> it's poetry. <laughs> it's, deal with reality? Not really. <laughs> I can read this one. You are drunk in big bold letters. Oh, that one has a title. <laughs> it's called Those Three Little Words. You are drunk. And that's a postcard. Yeah. And so postcards, um, bumper stickers, these are these are Could still hear us. Well, welcome back. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're in the bunker. Um, maybe that's everyone saying, come on, talk about things that we don't have to look at, right? But this is just beautiful. Ken, thank you so much. And oh, and one from Ron Paget too, a postcard. Also, yeah. this is wonderful. Thank you so much. This will just be 
I will treasure this. I will. It's yours. Thank you. Um, so, so Ken, with the to sum it all up. To su- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, when you said, like, do you feel like, did your folks know when you were going to be a poet? Like, did they 